been talking about Christmas for a couple of weeks. It's a good time of year to do it, being Christmas and that. Um, and um, been focusing on a lot of different things. Uh, Jesus as Emmanuel, Jesus as Saviour. Today we're focusing on, uh, which is probably one of the biggest mentioned things in the stories of Christmas, is that Jesus is the King. Now, uh, sometimes it mentions him being King, but quite often it mentions the name David. And when you think of David, if you were an Israelite, you would think King. The great King of Israel was David. So look at Luke 2 verse uh, 4 first, and then we're going to go to Isaiah today. Luke 2 verse 4. But every time the Israelites heard the name David, they thought King. That's what they thought. Great King. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to, in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to a firstborn, a son, wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you, he is Christ the Lord. This will be the sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels left them and gone into heaven, the, when the angels left them, sorry, uh, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The three passages in scripture which really most talk about uh, uh, Christmas, the time of the birth of Jesus, is Luke 2, Matthew 1, and then really right through Isaiah chapter 7, 8, 9. And I'm going to start in chapter 8, and you'll see at first you go, this is not Christmas, and then later on you'll go, oh yeah, it is too. Okay, so we're going to start at uh, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19 today as well. So I'm going to read that, and then you can hold your finger in the thing up here, because we're going to continue on. Yeah, you get it. That was a joke. It's pretty good, actually. <laughs> hey? Yeah, thanks. Okay. Hey, you got there? When someone tells you to consult mediums, mediums and spiritists who, who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to his word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness, fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Now in a minute we're going to go on in chapter 9 so you can 
hear that. But it's talking about there the people are walking and they're living without God. So they're consulting spiritists and mediums. They're trying to look for a spirituality outside of God. People are always doing that, particularly today, aren't they? There's endless amount of religions and spiritualities which kind of offer some sort of, well, to offer to fill a spiritual need, but they actually they, they achieve nothing. Actually, it's rebellion against God, which is the problem. You see, um, I heard uh, P.T. Forsyth said, God didn't come and send his son to a group of people who met him with loving arms. He, set, uh, he, he sent his son to come to a group of people who met him with pitchforks and swords to try and kill him. Which, uh, re- rebellion is at the heart, because you see, at the heart of sin, I mean, because we have a loving creator. And when we go against the creator, we are naturally living in darkness, aren't we? Because we're trying to live without God's rule even though God is ruling. It's a stupid thing to try and live without God as the king when he is the king. Especially, as you find out in a minute, how sovereign he is, how he's ruling over everything. To live without him would be more than treason, it would be just plain stupidity. Because we're rejecting the fact that he is authoritative and he is creator. And that causes stumbling, distress, hunger, a hunger in the world, that's poverty, but also hunger in the heart, people never being satisfied, never, never feeling like they've quite got it. Well, of course they can't feel like they've quite got it because God is what they need. And if they reject him, they will always live in that stumbling, distress and hunger. And not only that, who do they get angry with when things don't work out right? It says... They curse their king and their God. They shake their fists at the God that they've rebelled against and say, why are you doing this to me? Why does God do this, people say, when they've rejected God completely? It's kind of completely obscene, isn't it? The way people act. Against the loving creator, who, if we are with him and walking with him, we get the eternal happiness the eternal joy, the true light that we were made for. And if you reject it, you live in darkness. They say it's not rocket surgery or something like that. That's when you mix metaphors like Rob does. Okay. Yeah, that worked, didn't it? Okay. I'm going to read through Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7 now. So we've set the scene of rebellion and darkness where you reject the king. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the uh, the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be... On his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful.
Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will rule on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What a fantastic passage. A child is born and he is going to reign as king for how long? Forever. Right. He has been born, by the way. He is reigning. He is king. Okay. Might not want to accept that. Uh, that just makes you, as I said, theologically stupid. So. Okay. Understand this. This child in the manger, with little hands and little fingers, and you know how they making all those little baby noises. Yep, they squeak when they're small. Was the one who was going to crush the serpent's head. Destroy the devil's work. He was going to defeat death. He was going to destroy the power of death. He was going to be ruler over all. The yoke, the burdens, the bar on their shoulders, the rod of the oppressors, he was going to break all of that. And he was going to be ruler over all. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. That means he is going to shoulder the burden of government. What's the government mean? Don't think Canberra, just for a minute. Don't even think Washington. The government is talking about governing. It's talking about ruling. Yeah? Yep. Jesus is ruling over all things. Matthew 28, when he was taken up to heaven, he said, all authority on heaven, in heaven and earth has been given to me. He didn't say, some authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. If he has all authority, where can we go or what can we do that would step outside of his rulership? Not possible, is it? He's ruling over more, not as a traditional government, not as a government that you see. We see uh, Scott Morrison or Joe Biden or uh, Vladimir Putin or any of those. We see them, uh, but I don't know. Have anybody met Scott Morrison? No? Uh, in one sense, he's quite uh, he's, he's unattached to us, isn't he? We see some, maybe 30 seconds of him on the news most nights, but that's all we know of him. Is that really him? I don't know. What's he like when he's at home, sitting in his shorts and thongs, watching the cricket? We don't really know him. We don't know our governors or our rulers, do we? We know that many of them have their own agendas, that they work for their own good, we know that all of them are sinners like us. So if we, as soon as we put Jesus' govern, Jesus's governorship in light of governance, governance as we know it, we kind of are going backwards about it. Hopefully our governors are a little bit like him, but he's nothing like them. Does that make sense? So he is going to be a governor or a king, but his rule would be different. Now, if we went back to Isaiah 7, verse 14, it says, 
Now the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay. Totally unlike Scott Morrison right up front. Jesus is with us. By his Holy Spirit, he's with each one of us. He knows us intimately. This is, not a, this is not a governor who's sitting there making rules and we're over there in the distance having to suck it up. This is a governor who is making rules, or a king, we're going to get to the kingship, but at the moment it's called a governor. He is making rules about the ones he loves, who he is with intimately all the time. And not only that, if you read Psalm 139, it tells us he knows every thought in our mind. He knows some pretty awful stuff sometimes, doesn't he? (laughs) He knows every motive of our heart. He knows every word that we mutter to ourselves. He knows every word that we speak out loud. He knows every action. He knows everything. But it's not just a knowledge, a cold knowledge. He is the one who knows all that. And then the angel said to Matthew... You will call him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. That's what Jesus means, the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. So he forgives our sins. He makes us pure and holy so that we can live in that intimacy with him and we can know him. Even though he is the great ruler of all, he knows every aspect of our lives and he says it's always holy. He knows us and he loves us. And he is always with us. So this is a very unusual form of governorship as we know it in this world, isn't it? It, it, Incredible love. And from that place of love, he is ruling. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Okay, I'll go back to God being creator. If God is the creator of everything, he understands everything. True? He understands, I mean, we have atomic theory and we say there's electrons and protons and the other things, which I forget what they are, swinging around a a nucleus of an atom. He is not only, he, he understands all of that, he is driving the electron that's spinning. Every electron, every cell in your body, he is holding together. It says of Jesus in Colossians 1, through him all things hold together. He holds everything together. Okay, So you can understand that if he knows that depth of wisdom, then he has wisdom that we need for life. To seek wisdom outside of him, again, would be crazy, wouldn't it? And he says he is the wonderful counsellor. So if he's a wonderful counsellor, he, he, he has wisdom for us. And not only that, James 1 says, if you lack wisdom, you know what you should do. What does he say? Ask. And he'll give you wisdom. Okay? Who does it say to ask? The spiritists and the mediums? Ask him. He's with us. He has counsel. We know his word. The, the Bible is full of his law and counsel. It is the best advice for us because he knows the purpose for which he created us. So he knows everything about us. And he saved us by his grace. And we know him now as the gracious Lord. So every time you come to him, you come to him in his grace. Rich and undeserved. Free and every day. 
Now, you don't just come to one who is a wonderful counsellor. You come to one who is, the next bit, mighty God. He is God Almighty. He is ruler over all. He is all-powerful. The millions of atomic or billions of atomic reactions that are going on in the sun every day, just to drive at one little tiny speck of a star in the whole universe, right? He is powerful over every one of those. He is doing each little bit. He is powerful. Uh, Job tells us that every drop of rain, and there is literally billions. When you have one mill of rain, I think uh, you know, I've heard Ron Chomfish say, one millimetre of rain in the Blonde Shire is enough to fill 31,000 uh, Olympic swimming pools. One mill of rain over one little bit of the earth. And every little drop that's falling within that, God is in control of it. He is incredibly powerful and our lives are lived out under that power. We might not see it, but you don't want to be against it because he's the king. Okay? Now, we pray to the God who can, I'll just use that word first, can do anything because he's all-powerful. But we pray to him knowing he is also the wise God who knows what he's doing. Do you understand? So we ask in our prayer, and if he acts, he can act with all power. And if he doesn't act, that's good because he knows what he's doing. Does that make sense? He knows what's best for us. Jesus says here, this child will be called Everlasting Father, which might sound a strange thing to say about Jesus, calling him the Father. But he has the same will as the Father, doesn't he? He has the same nature as the Father. Hebrews uh, 1 verse 3, which is a great memory verse, if if you like memory verses, says this about Jesus. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful hand. Oh, sorry, by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. This is Jesus. Provided purification for sins and sat down at the right hand. He is ruling over all things. But you see, we see in Jesus... The nature of the Father, the everlasting Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You understand everything about the Father because what you've seen in me. Jesus rules under the Father's rule. And the Father's rule is a, a rule of warmth, of love, of intimacy again. That's why, otherwise we'd call God God Almighty all the time, wouldn't we? But he's not just God Almighty. When you pray, you don't start with God Almighty. Jesus said, pray, Father. Because there's an intimacy and a warmth in God's heart for you. You are always on his mind. You are always in his heart. He is always guiding and shaping and disciplining. We know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purposes. In all things, he's working. He is the Holy Father, and yet he's... Sorry, as the Holy Father, he always hates sin. 
every one of your sins. There's never a, don't think, you can never think, oh, I sinned, but it's okay, God doesn't care. God had to send his son to die for our sins. Sin is always against God. He is pure in every way. His, in his wrath, he hates sin. He never accepts it. So that's why grace, again, as I know I always say it, grace never says God allows for sin. Grace says God deals with sin through Christ on the cross. It's never that God says, that's okay, just do what you're doing. That's okay, I'll let you off the hook. He had to deal with it at his own pain and sacrifice. So Jesus rules over all as the Father's rule, under the Father's rule, and we can know God as Father. And I can tell you there is no greater gift in this world than to be able to know God, the all-powerful, all-holy, all-intimate, all-loving, all-knowing God. There's no greater thing than to be able to call him Father and know him as Father and to be called his son or daughter. And the Spirit he gives to us, the Holy Spirit who cries in our hearts, Abba, Father, that we might know him in that way. It's his intention that we live in that way. Okay. Verse 7, where are we up to? Of the increase... Oh, sorry, I missed the Prince of Peace. Okay, yeah, yeah sorry. He, he is the Prince of Peace. You will only know peace in your life when you know God's full authority, his full power, and his full gracious, warm love. You will only know peace when you are at peace with that God. And the only way you can be at peace with him is through Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus Christ. You need him. Otherwise, this life will be occasionally happy, occasionally sad, but you will never have peace. You will never have the peace of mind that comes through God. Of the increase of his government, which is ever-expanding, says, so it's ever-increasing, there will be no end to the increase of his government and his peace. It is expanding and it will never stop expanding. Okay. He will rule and reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Jesus is the ultimate king in David's line, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever. Justice and righteousness. He is righteous. Okay. Who are we talking about here? We are talking about Jesus, the baby in the manger. And at that point, he began establishing his kingdom from day one in the manger. And he started showing us the nature and the truth of God's all-powerful kingship. What's God's kingship like? He is humble. He is holy. He is powerful. He is loving. He is gracious. He is giving. Everything is for others. That's Jesus, the baby in the manger at Christmas time, who is Jesus, the ruler, coming into his throne. And his people get to do, you've got to listen to this, the most wonderful and satisfying and peace-giving action ever. Do you know what it is? To submit to him. Submission's awesome when you're submitting to that king that I've told you about. You're, sitting, you're submitting 
to the Creator with all wisdom, to the Redeemer who forgave us, to the Counselor who's given us his law and his wisdom, to the King who is Lord of all. Submit to him. Why are you stupid? <laughs> and I pray. Father, we thank you for the message of Christmas and we thank you for the hope, the peace, the joy that you give us when we hear about Jesus, the King, Jesus, our King. Father, I pray that you would teach us to live our lives honouring him as King, submitting to him, seeking him, asking for wisdom, living in the intimacy of a relationship with you, living in all of the blessings you have for us. Father, I pray that this message of this son would penetrate our hearts and that we would live in all of the fullness that you have for us through Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.